You are listening to Pastor Dennis Helton of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please join us as we study the scriptures one verse at a time, finding therein the power of God and the wisdom which leads to salvation. And without further ado, here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Grace, because the next term that we're going to be talking about is kind of uh, something that you definitely need grace by, because do you guys remember the test that you had taken in school? Um, do you ever remember that? Um, you you for, try to forget about those, don't you? Oh, yeah. Of course, uh, of course you do remember, although you'd, uh, you definitely don't really want to think about any of those tests. You move on, right? Maybe you did well on those tests. Maybe you did really good. But I think everybody is apprehensive when it's time to take a test. And you might even be prepared for that test, but you don't know how prepared you really are, so you're still apprehensive. And you realize that it could be a bad day, and you thought you knew everything, but you just failed the test. Now, that, that could weigh heavily on your final grade. This could be a, the major test of the whole semester or whatever. Matter of fact, it could be the difference between passing and failing. Dare say that word, right? Failing. Um, I would say we all have a fear about taking tests. Um, we know that it can reveal what we don't know, right? Uh, wow. Matter of fact, what it can do, it can keep us up all night. Matter of fact, for several nights. And we can do all the cramming, and we can be anxious about that test. Tests are not really something we enjoy. We don't feast in that, but we know that they're necessary. Have you ever had a class where you never took a test? Um, one time I had a class where I, I really never had any class, but I had a test at the end. I kid you not, it was a college course here at Lincoln University. And first day in there, got her books and everything. She says, okay, you have your books. She says, you study them, and at the end of the semester we'll have a final test. She says, we'll see you at the end of the semester. That was it. And I'll tell you, you read the book, right? <laughs> apprehensive about that test because that grade was either pass or fail, right? Well, the Apostle Paul brings a reality of pass or fail, that whole scheme, into the Christian faith. And it's certainly not what we would um, think of being too much different, I guess, um, than then the test only thing is you know we don't merit salvation you know it's it's all by grace of god but the passing or failing whether one is in the faith or not is really what it's about the evidence the reality the the very substance of our christianity is seen in in our faith uh, many claim to be christians many claim to have faith and they're not really Christians, right? We've all heard about that. We realize that. Uh, you've heard of the George Barna polls uh, of Christians. And a lot of times it's dismal conclusions that he leads to. And, of course, he had another one. It was about professing Christians. And it was that they really didn't appear much different than the unbelieving world. Didn't really see much difference after the exam was given, the test, the unbelieving counterparts looked about the same. I don't think that shocks any of us here at all. We know about that. But what it reveals is that the salt is losing its flavor. Salt doesn't seem to be the salt. The light doesn't seem to be the light anymore. It's growing dimmer. And we see the condition of the world world always has been the world. It seems like in our lifetime it grows increasingly anti-God. Professing Christians can rally around political candidates and, and that can be good. It shows righteousness and such. Uh, they get heavily involved in pro-life efforts and I say go for it. That's a good thing to be into. So don't take me wrong. 
But the thing is, those same people don't have the character of Jesus Christ in their lives sometimes. When I say those same people, people can do things that look good, that are good, but yet not be holy people. The demands that are at home, in our lives, at work, around the community, in church, is our character showing there. That's what this is about. This is what the test comes in to be. Well, if you look at Corinth, we definitely see how the truth applies there. Um, They professed to be Christians, most certainly did, but they started inching away from the gospel a little bit at a time, and they kind of went for the favor of the super apostles. We've been talking about that week after week. The more they followed these popular speakers, preachers, teachers, these false apostles, what they did is they started rejecting the true authority of the gospel, the preaching that Paul had given. And the more that they steered away from the centrality, simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see that the godly character was not being shown. Paul then draws his defense all the way through this epistle. He's had an argument that has been amazing, building one fact upon another, upon another. We've been doing this for over a year. We're chapter 13. It could have taken a lot longer. But that's several weeks, isn't it? Section after section, and it's been building the argument in Second Corinthians here. The argument comes to a close. This is getting at the very apex of what the letter is about after building all these arguments. Would the Corinthians pass or fail? Would they pass or fail the test of true Christianity? That's what he puts before them in this little section today that we have, verse 5 and 6. Now, this same question confronts the church of our day and each one of us here starting with me and it's not necessarily it could be challenging one's faith in Christ but it also can challenge us as believers as we might have a little bit of movements away from the truth of scripture we get away from it ever so slightly and we need to always test and examine ourselves to see where we're at in our walks. So it applies to Christians. It definitely starts with whether one's a believer or not a believer. And that's really what Paul is challenging. But test make us evaluate our own lives. We should be doing that always and letting the light of the truth shine upon our hearts. Many people fear the test as we spoke about earlier but really if we examine ourselves on a very daily basis there's really nothing to fear the fact is is we want our walk to be even closer with the Lord that's really what it's about as his light shines sometimes it's ignorance is blissful you ever heard of that ignorance is bliss if I don't know about these things then everything's okay But the more you get into God's word and the more you grow in Jesus Christ, the more that you see that you battle with sin. And there are certain things that he he speaks about and you go, oh, I never saw that as a potential sin. So it would be better if I wouldn't look in there and then I wouldn't know, right? No, that's not true at all. Uh, We know that... um, the Lord wants us to get over the difficulties and the challenges, the realities of life. Go through those things. We know there is a judgment day that is coming. There's the judgment seat of Christ. There is the judgment of unbelievers and, believe me, an unexamined life. And the realities of life, if they're not brought forth, there will be a day of an examination 
the test of all tests. The exam of all exams where God will give where one is truly at. Now, our motive is not for one to doubt salvation. We would challenge if one is not in the faith, but we also challenge each other to continue to examine ourselves as Christians. So we go with both ways, but first of all, we have to look at the text. But um, if we examine ourselves, he gives us a fresh perspective on our lives of where we're at today. And it's new reasons for obedience. We should desire more obedience, shouldn't we? We want to get better. Sounds like Thessalonians now, doesn't it? (laughs) We want to get better in our walks. So the question is, is do I pass or fail the test? Let's grab our Bibles. Let's stand. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're still in 2 Corinthians. We haven't finished yet, but we're getting ever so close. Verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Father, we thank you for your truth again. Thank you for your word that speaks to us. We desire to know where we stand at with you. That's where prayer comes in. The Word of God, the light, the fire, the heat that we have in relating to you, letting you to cut away the dross and get to the genuine faith that you've given us, that we will give you glory. Help us to learn a little more of you as we examine this test and we examine our own lives. In your son's name, amen. We go to uh, testing for genuine faith. Testing for genuine faith. uh, This test here, I think, stands at the heart of the church, of individuals' lives. It's the test of faith. Verse 5, like I said before, is the pinnacle, the very apex of a piercing argument that Paul has brought forth. So, Whenever you happen to be reading in 2 Corinthians one of these days, it could be five years down the road and you just happen to be working through 2 Corinthians or reading a text, you first think about some things and the basis of why he wrote that letter. You understand he's defending himself. He's defending the gospel ultimately. He's defending Jesus Christ. That's the reason for the letter. That always helps. He's building an argument. He's built the case. Man, he's thorough, isn't he? And here we get the very pinnacle. They had tolerated sin in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5, the immorality that was happening. They questioned his authority as an apostle, that he really was an apostle. And whenever they do that, they also give the question, uh, really questioning the very gospel itself that was delivered to them by the apostle. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? That's why he writes this epistle. They wanted to test him to see if Christ was really speaking in him. That's really what we had uh, seen earlier. Um, In chapter 13, verse 3, just a few verses back, since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me. They were seeking proof of that. Now, can you imagine why they would ever want to seek proof about Paul being an apostle, that he's real? Why? That's the question, isn't it? They want to test him, and they are testing him. They have tested him. You know what he does now? Turns the tables. And he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, do you, and he will get to those words, you, yourselves. It's very emphatic. 
and you've probably done that before when you've been in an argument. Oh yeah, what about you? Yet yeah, this is you know you know this is what you didn't do. This is what you did or whatever. Don't you recognize this about yourselves? That Christ is in you unless you fail that test. Testing, examining, approving, being found genuine. That's the idea. That's the whole makeup, the focus, this, this theme here in these two verses. It's bringing the epistle to closure. He didn't want to leave them hanging as he closed his letter. He puts the finishing touch to it. He has, has a few more verses going on here, but they, they had to act upon the truths now. They had to test themselves. Check this out. Check yourself out. Do you pass or do you fail? Wow, it's pretty, pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? And we've all heard this verse before. Test yourself. Examine yourself, right? The word test there is, and uh, examine, there are two words that are really close to each other, a little nuances, slightly different. The word for test there, the first word, test yourselves, test, is perazzo, means to examine, to prove, to test, to be, if it's genuine, to try or examine someone in order to discover what kind of person they are. We've all done that. We have examined people to see if they're true, if they're genuine. We, we look at those things. Examination is not a bad thing, is it? Proving, testing there. Um, some people don't want to be examined primarily because they're afraid that it might disclose fault lines in their faith. Cracks. They don't want to see that. They don't want to hear about it. don't want to know. But examination in areas of our lives really are of value. We really want to know, hey, what is bad here? You ever had a car you didn't really want to know? You heard noises, but you didn't want to know anything about it because you know that there's something there. You know you're going to have to do something about it. You take it in the mechanic, but, you know, okay, this can pass inspection if he does this, but... A couple of weeks later, it's going to break down on you if you don't get something done now. Don't don't you want the mechanic to tell you, here's really what has to be done, or, hey, you pay me now, or you pay me later. Remember that commercial? Oh. Fram, Fram Oil. Yeah, good. When was that, Bob? Was that? I, uh, be, be quiet. <laughs> That's it. That was Fram Oil. That's a serious thing. So we really would say, hey, whatever it, it has to, whatever has to be done, it has to be done. Do it. I, I don't want to have a breakdown, right? Boy, I think that applies to us. The next word is examine. Test yourselves, see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. It's a lot like uh, the word test. Examine here is dokimazo. Now, how many here are familiar with that word? We've used it many times in this letter and all throughout the New Testament, Paul mentions it so much. Dakimazo is talking about taking silver or taking coins or gold and burning the dross off, testing that to see really what's real. Well, it looks bigger with all the dross on there, and it looks like it's worth more. But if you take it to somebody who uh, says that, you know, he's going to test it for what's really real. You want to know what's real, right? Knock all the stuff that is false and fake off of it, burn it off, and let's see what's really genuine, right? You do that to show that there is something real there. So it's really a positive thing. It's to prove the worth, to prove its genuineness. So it's, it's really related to our test, to Parazzo, but slightly different. It's, it's referring to something that's going to pass an examination a coin, a precious metal. Those precious metals pass the examiner's eyes and sometimes they would put their stamp there, a, a D or, or delta, to show they were approved that it's genuine. In this case, what he's saying is it's the Corinthians' faith that is to be proven. Test, examine, Paul actually believes, and I'll say this in a few months later too, I think he really believes that almost most of these people here really are true. 
He wants them to be so tested that it would show that they're real, that they really are genuine. And the pastor that he is, that's the way that he's thinking. He's, you know, surely they are real. And he, he'd been there. And the next word is faith, to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And the word is pistis, and it's the very, it is the faith. It's the body, it's the objective body of truth. It's the gospel. It's the whole truth. You are in the faith. The faith. The faith that was passed on to our time. In Jude, it mentions the faith. So in its objective sense here, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Um, they had been reducing themselves down to a lesser system. The super apostles' word of truth. Not the truth of the gospel. I think a good question to start asking would be this. Okay, if one is really examining to see if they are truly a Christian, I'm not talking about, okay, it's our walks as Christians here. We're talking, okay, if, if one's a true Christian. Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? When I say that, do I believe that Jesus is God? That He is Creator? He's a Redeemer and all those different names. Is, is He God? Uh, do I believe that he is eternal and coexistent with the Father and the Spirit? Is he a part of the triune God? Was he born of the Virgin Mary? Truly human, truly God? All those answers obviously are, are yes, right? This, this is the creed creed is what we believe right here's what I believe basics but they are essential you have to believe there are no alternatives in these now there are disagreements in the body of Christ believe me on interpretations of scripture but these are elements that cannot be disagreed upon and if one does disagree with these things they're not a Christian they're outside the realm they are in a cult or anything else but they're not Christians do you believe that Jesus Christ bore your sin on the cross and he made a payment, a ransom for you and it satisfied God's demand for justice? It satisfied God what he did when he paid that price. Do you believe that? Do we trust in the righteousness of Christ that is then given to us? That it's on our behalf. It's the only merit that we have to give to the Father, the Judge. It's the merits that Christ did. It doesn't have anything to do with my works. Do we have any other Savior? Do we have any other gods? Is Christ alone? No others, right? He's the only Savior. Those are basics. Is this the Word of God? Every bit of it, every word. Are there other books? Are there other ideas that comes from people's minds? Without truth. Those things are essential. Never can disagree on those, can we? We the body of Christ, whether regardless of what denomination one be, they have to believe in that. Now they can be in liberal denominations and not believe those things. But they go to church. They go to a church on the corner. It's been a denomination that's historical for over 100 years. But if they don't believe these things that I just mentioned, and there are other ones, but those are the basic elements. They don't believe that. They're not believers. Not believers at all. That's, that's a test. That's a, that is definitely a genuine check on oneself. You start there, don't you? Really key. Far too many slide into the comfort of being around Christians, hearing Christian teachings, but they never embrace Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel. They don't embrace him. So that's where Paul would say, are you in the faith? Are you grounded in the faith? Are you having confidence that you are grounded in the faith revealed in the gospel? So he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Did you hear the emphatic words there? 
test yourselves. Yourselves, you, yourselves. Do you see what he's doing? He has flipped the table. He's turned the tables on them. It's a plurality here. Uh, yourselves. He's speaking to the whole church. He's speaking to individuals. It's very emphatic. We are prone to self-deceit. We deceive ourselves. Paul's not going to let this get by. Oh, people can be so easily manipulated. Swayed by feelings. Boy, feelings, the, the, the feelings can really fail us, can't they? Oh, they can lie. They, the feelings lie all the time. It may feel right, but it is not lining up with God's word. Which one is true? Which one is false? If we go by our feelings, we are really going to be self-deceived. We get pity party parties. Every one of us deal with those things. We put ourselves on the seat there, kind of in the center of it all. And we realize it's really not about us, is it? Once we do that, we're going by our feelings. Think of truth. Testing brings us back to the basic realities. So, he was sure though. I think Paul was very sure that as they did inventory, they would come to a conclusion that they were true Christians. That's a positive thought, but I believe that he being around them and giving the truth that they did and seeing the aspect of what had happened to them he knew he was a true apostle. He knew he had given them the true gospel. There was a response from them. They were Christians by virtue of his ministry, of the gospel that he gave that was true. You know what that says? It says, Paul expects them to be genuinely transformed people of God all throughout the scripture. We are told to examine ourselves. You think, well, that's just in 2 Corinthians, isn't it? You go in the Old Testament, and you'll see that God's people need to really see that they do fall short. God is God. We are not. Let's see some passages dealing with test yourselves. In Job, if you remember the book of Job, you think of the context there. Think of the suffering that he had in Job 13.23. says, How many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. It really wasn't for one sin that this happened to Job. It wasn't because he necessarily sinned, but he did sin, didn't he? He's a sinner. He was just like us. But he's a man who walked uprightly for God and God's glory. But there he says, Make known to me, God, my rebellion and my sin. If there is some sin that has caused this, make it known. If there's rebellion here in my heart, show me. Light the way, Lord. Look in Job 31. It's a good place to start, isn't it? Job 31, 4 through 6. Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened after deceit, let him weigh me with accurate scales. Oh, wow. And let God know my integrity. Bring on the accuracy. Show it, Lord. Now we know if he showed everything, I'm convinced that we couldn't handle it. We could not take, he is so gracious, he's so merciful to keep us from seeing all the deep sin that we're still dealing with and walking in or being tempted by. I think it'd kill us. We can't handle it. But God, if we'd be honest, we'd say, Lord, I know this is sin here. Lord, you're shining the light on it. Please forgive me. I repent. Lord, I don't desire to continue in this particular way. 
He has the accurate scales. They're always there anyway. Thing is, it's not that it's going to show him. He says, oh, my. Wow, Dennis, I didn't know you had that sin. Oh, my. <laughs> he knows everything. It's just saying, I'm confessing. I'm agreeing with you, God, that you're right. That's really what confessing is, homologeo, to say the same thing. He wants us to admit it and then to mean it. I don't want to do that. Lord, I'm relying on you. Pretty practical stuff there, isn't it? Job is real. Job is a man. Look at Psalm 17. Psalm 17, verse 3. Right out of the Old Testament here. Job, Psalms. Psalm 17, 3 says, You have tried my heart. You have tested my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. Here he's praying for protection against the oppressors. and It's kind of, you know, it wasn't that he had done necessarily anything wrong for God to bring this, you know, test my heart, God. You know, there's not a particular sin here that God is really punishing him with as he is having to run and hide from uh, the king. Saul. I purposed that I will not say anything that would be against God's holiness. That I will not transgress. I have said that to the Lord. Psalm 26 verse 2. Remember David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect but he was after God's heart. Isn't that what we all want to be? Examine me. Psalm 26 2. O Lord. Examine. There's that word. And try me. Examine, test, prove. Test my mind and my heart. I want to show what is genuine. He knows that he has perfect scales and he knows there's going to be some things that show where his faults are. But he also says, For your loving kindness or your mercy is before my eyes. I have walked in your truth. David knew that as a whole he was righteous in, in, in God. Psalm 139, verse 23. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, sound familiar, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Search me, God. I'm not aware of any sin right now, but you show me there's something there know my anxious thoughts and he says if there be any hurtful way in me lead me in the everlasting way lead me there show me Lord let's go to Lamentations Jeremiah Lamentations Lamentations chapter 3 a really short book Chapter 3 of Lamentations, Jeremiah writes this, Let us examine and probe our ways. Let us return to the Lord. Oh, this is a heart. This is a heart after God, isn't it? Just show me. Show me, Lord. Let me examine. Let me probe the ways. 1 Corinthians. Now we go to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians. Not 2 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul had written earlier. It's about the Lord's Supper. Oh, yeah, we remember this. Chapter 11, 28, you have people coming in. Some were drunk, coming into the feast, festival, the uh, what would be the Lord's Supper, love feast. They weren't really taking the Lord's Supper seriously, it says in verse 28. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Yeah, partake of it, but first what do you do? Examine yourself. As we go through this message today, this is a part of our communion that we will have later on. It's a great message for communion, isn't it? Examine me. We do the whole message. Any kind of message we should be examining our hearts. We don't have to look at others and worry about others. Examine me, Lord. Show me. Try me. 
This is a good time to do it, right? As, as you go through the Word. Look in verse 31. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Judged by others, judged by the church, judged by God, right? If we would take care of it ourselves and when we see our sin, confess it, repent, and then go about your walk. It's over. It's done with. Move on. Boy, that brings freedom, doesn't it? Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews, you get warnings. Now, this would line up with our 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 and and (laughs) 6. These are warnings that are given in Hebrews. You ever had trouble with Hebrews? If you don't know the text of that book, you would really be doubting your salvation. Really, the context is there are Jews. This is Hebrews, right? There are Jews who profess to be Christians. They went to church, hung around Christians. They saw miracles. They heard the word of the preaching. The Holy Spirit empowered the church, and they were part of that. They got in on the saints' prayers. They appeared to be Christians, but they were really in the middle which is, there is no such thing. You're a Christian, you're not a Christian. But in Hebrews, that's who he's talking to. Jews who had professed Christians but to be Christians, but they weren't. And there were the true Christians who he wrote to in there too. But there were ones who were not Christians. And so he begs them, come, trust Christ. So he says in verse 1, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it, the truth. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience and received a just penalty, that's the angels spoke, it was at the mount, mount um, that Moses was out, that, this is the law. He says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard spoken to the Lord and then it was spoken to the apostles and they wrote it down preached it to them he says pay close attention don't drift away how are you going to escape if you neglect neglect this truth what else is there Uh, chapter 3 verse 6 actually I'll read 6 It says, uh, but Christ was faithful uh, as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until uh, until the end. Now, if you're reading this, you could say, boy, that looks like you can lose your salvation. And believe me, the people who believe you can lose your salvation, the very verses we're looking at, they will use this book. Be ready to fend what you believe. They got a good point, but who's he writing to? He's writing to ones who are borderline. They're not really real. And he says, cross over, come over. Don't have enough time. It would take months. It would probably take over a year to go through Hebrews. So we can't do that right now. So I'm reading a verse, but he's saying, Christ, his house, if we hold fast, he's saying, if you're a true Christian, You are going to show the confidence. You are going to prove who you are. And so what he does, as you go on down verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. He's talking about in the day of the wilderness. He's talking about the Old Testament people being led by Moses. And most did not trust in this truth. Today, if you hear this voice, and all the way through chapter 4, through, I think it's like um, 7 verses, and even longer, but uh, verse 7, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, he spoke about uh, Moses, here he uses David, Today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he had been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. What about tomorrow? It's not here. It doesn't exist. Right now is the time of salvation. 
one could walk out of here if they're not really a believer, trusting in Jesus Christ as their own Savior, walk out of here, get hit by a car, somebody gets shot. That's it. They didn't trust in Christ. It's too late, isn't it? Today is the day of salvation. That's the whole point in that section. He says, if you hold on to this, if you really are a believer. Chapter 10, verse 26 not chapter 6. Oh, this is the one they'll really use. For in the case of those, verse 4, of those who have been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, say, that's believer right there. That's a believer. Well, they were enlightened. They heard truths and they realized, oh, yeah, that's, that's right. They tasted the heavenly gift. They didn't eat of Christ. They tasted. They've been more made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They saw the power of the Holy Spirit and His works and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come. They tasted. They were enlightened. They had some knowledge. And verse 6, And then have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. The people who believe in losing salvation really have a point there, right? No. They don't. If you look at the rest of the chapter, he's saying, if you. But then he will say to the next crowd, but you have a better hope, have better thing. Them, you, if you, or then another group. The case of those who have once been enlightened, right? But they fall away. That shows you they never really were of the truth. And you see two kinds of believers. Verse 7, the one who brings forth vegetation, he shows his belief is true. Verse 8, but if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless. Ends up being burned, right? And so he says, verse 8, but, but 9, but beloved, now he talks to the Christian crowd, but beloved, believers, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Do you see the point? They, they don't read this verse. And things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking this, we're speaking this way. But you have better things here. We're convinced of you. And they have their hope in the anchor of Christ, which is found at the end of chapter 6. 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Here's the we. Here's the you over here. And then here's the we. We have an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What's a high priest do? He is always, ever interceding for the believers. The anchor is in the Holy of Holies. The anchor is Christ. We are part of that while we live here. We are anchored in Christ. Chapter 10, verse 26. Here's another one they will use. For if we go on sinning willfully, and there, there's truth to all of these, but who's he talking about? If we go on sinning willfully, puts the if, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If we continue to sin, Say, I'm a Christian, and we continue to stay. Um, we rob people. We, we commit adultery, fornication. We, we um, let's see, um, a lying is uh, our character. Think of the, the Ten Commandments, right? Think of all of those. If, we, if that's our lifestyle, if we don't love our brethren, as in First John, it shows we're really not real. You can say you're, you're of Christ all you want. But here he says, after you receive this, there's no more What can get you to heaven? There, that was the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. You're not trusting in that cross about dealing with sin. You're not trusting in that. You're not really real. It shows you. Verse 31, pretty rough statements. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Chapter 10, verse 38, 39. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, 
my soul has no pleasure in it. He's, he's going to shrink back because he really is not of the faith. He shows he's not true. He proves he's not true. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back. Here's the weak or the we. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. God is the one who preserves. Do you see all of those? Those people who take those verses and make you look like you can lose your salvation, you say, and they will tell you, you can't know for sure. You have to confess all your sins. If you if you died, if you were really a Christian, but you die in an accident, you didn't confess. If you had a sin and you didn't confess it, you know where you're going? You're going to hell. That's really what they believe. That's frightening. But we see this. If you're of the, of the true faith, he will preserve you. He preserves us all. He is the preserver. And that's what Hebrews is about all the way through. They don't go and take the other verses to show this. Here, if you, and then it's, but we, beloved, right? Many denominations say you can lose your salvation. More than 50% of them do. If you don't believe it really in a sovereign God, it's, it's really on you. It's on you to get yourself saved, and it's on you to keep yourself saved. That's frightening. That's not grace, folks. That is you. Yeah, Christ is over here. He did His thing, but it's up to me now. If that is the gospel, we all sit here in bad news. That's a bad gospel. It's fake. It's not real. That's not the gospel of grace that we read in the Bible. So we went through those warnings of deception, and those are good to know, though. It says that is to one who thinks they're a Christian and they're really not, and that's what Hebrews just did. It should bring conviction on one who's not really real. They need to test themselves. Examine the genuineness of trust in Christ. Belief... Number, there's three to that. I'm in number two now in verse five. Belief in Christ affects our behavior, doesn't it? A true Christian will have behavior. He will have affections. He will have his priorities towards the person of Christ. He thinks differently than before Christ. He acts differently than the days before Christ. His interests are totally different. His inclinations are toward Christ even though there's struggles. Second one of that is a, there's a dis, new distinction. There's a distinctive bent in life. We're uh, away from the loving of our unregenerate life. Oh, how terrible that kind of lifestyle is. Look back and see some of the things that we were part of and the kind of people that we hung around with. Our minds are transformed by the Word and the Spirit. Number three, it demonstrates our very love, our loyalty to Christ. We have to show that we're real and it's only through His power and it's Christ in our life should make an impact on others, though, who are unbelievers. And we should desire that, but not to live that kind of lifestyle that can pull us back into that. Number three, it's the last, last part of here. It's found in verse 6 in our text, 2 Corinthians 13, 6. <clears throat> Actually, at the end of verse 5, I think, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Here's proof positive. Recognize, epigonosco, really know, to fully know enough to act upon it. Recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. To fully know that. The possibility that there could be one who fails but he says, Jesus Christ in you. If you're a Christian, you should know that. You should desire to bring that forth in your life, in your thoughts. Colossians 1.27, this is great hope for a Christian. Colossians 1.27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches 
of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is the riches which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Don't we sing a song called that? That has that line? The hope of glory. Christ in you, he's my everything. Wow. Does that excite you? Christ really lives in you. Wow. I do. As Bob said, as we finished that song, wow. Just praising God and being able to realize the joy that he brings us. Wow. We can rest in this Christ in Galatians 2.20 Therefore it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Christ in us. Ephesians 3.17 This is what a Christian should sense. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints and their all the way through that Christ may dwell in your heart live to make himself at home is the idea in your hearts he knew their lives there's no explanation for the transformation except from the very power of God that it happened and you know that one can know if he has Jesus Christ it's not some kind of mystery that's going to be disclosed after you die. You can't ever know. I've had some um, Roman Catholic friends and uh, relations say, you, you can't be so arrogant to say you know you're going to heaven. And that, that's just not nominal or just somebody that um, knows little about what the Catholic faith believes. That is Roman Catholic faith. You can't know if you're going to heaven or purgatory or hell. Most of them believe that their theology is that you'll go straight to purgatory. You'll be purged, burning there. That is their theology. And in many Protestant theologies, they would basically, may not believe in purgatory, but they would say, you can't really say for sure because you could sin uh, today and... uh, it could be too late for you if you don't confess it. First John, I'm just going to do one of these. First John 5.13. First John 5.13. If you're a Christian, hang on to this verse. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God hold true to the faith so that what you may know that you have eternal life John wrote that whole epistle and he said I write these things so that you can know you have eternal life did you know what 1st John is about testing your faith do you love God do you love Jesus Christ do you confess Jesus Christ Chapter 1, do you confess your sins? Did you know that that's a mark of a Christian? Show me somebody who does not confess his sins and repent, and I'll show you an unbeliever. That's what John is saying. If we, if we love God's people, if we love God's unbelievers, (laughs) not his people, we are to love all, right? That's a mark of a Christian. If one doesn't love, John says, you're not a Christian. I mean, it's black and white in John. It's either this or that. He doesn't put up with anything in between. This, that. So if you have trouble loving others, you need to examine yourself, right? That's what John says in in all of his epistle, constantly through there. So we go back to 2 Corinthians. But I trust that you'll realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Fail the test. Earlier, Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. Failing the test. Ah, Dakimas. Uh, Dakimas test to prove what's genuine. You know something? If you have the word ah, which is a negative, we're talking about 
not being genuine, failing the test. It means to be tested and found counterfeit. Ooh, ah, Dakimas. It means to be a reprobate, one who was never real in the first place. I used to ask my brothers and sisters in Christ who would come in the store many times. I'd talk to many people who believed you could lose your salvation. Finally, we get to the point of saying, wait a minute, I'm saying, could you believe and then at one time have a sin and still be have eternal life? And they would hem-haw around about it. But then I, I could say, what if they never showed any characteristics that they were a believer anyway? They might have looked like it at first, but what if it was not in their character, their nature? Is it possible that they were not really a believer anyway? You know what they'd have to say? Well, I, I agree with you on that. They may not have been a real believer. And I'm saying that's exactly what Scripture says. They show that they were never of the truth. Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew I never knew you. What is eternal life? How long is it? For eternity. How can you have eternal life now and then lose eternal life when it actually is eternal? Those are just logical questions. Folks, you've probably run into it much of your life. People who believe you can lose your salvation. Incredible thing. The fact that the Corinthians are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through Paul would suggest that they're out of touch with the evidences of the Spirit's work in Corinth. Some of you are going to fail the test. Paul is saying that. Some in our church could fail the test. It's very possible to fail the test. Christ could not maybe possibly be in them. There's a dilemma here for the Corinthians. Paul declares that he is not akidakamas. He is not failing the test. And the rest that were with him, the other apostles. To question Paul's authenticity is to question the very authenticity of not only Paul, but Timothy and Titus, Silas, those along with him. Matter of fact, do you see what their dilemma is? If Paul really is not true, that means the gospel that he brought to them was not true because how could he preach the true gospel if he's not true? And then that means if he preached a gospel that wasn't true, then what did they receive? A false gospel. They believed a false gospel. That What does that mean to them? That they are not of truth. Do you see the, the horns of dilemma that has been made? What a lawyer that Paul is as he brings us to the climax they have to accept Paul and reject the intruders with this or they're all fake and they're not real. Check, examine yourselves. They don't have any right to blame the apostle for anything. If he fails the test, if he failed the test, they can't blame him because they're not real. He's not real. If they fail the test, they don't even belong to the Lord. He doesn't belong to the Lord. There's really nothing to even be talking about here anyway. And if they pass the test, they certainly can't blame the apostle, can they? If they pass the test, they've got to say, God gave the gospel through him. This is how we were saved. Do you see where they're at? Do you see where Paul has left them? Amazing. I say this comes directly from the Holy Spirit to be able to put them in this position. They can't blame Paul. And it does make them examine themselves. Paul is sure that they are believers as a whole, genuinely transformed. If you're genuinely transformed, then I'm a true apostle because I preached the message that transformed your life. Why are you casting me off? You preached a true message. 
If they doubted his apostleship, they would have to doubt his message. To doubt the message means they're not real. No conversion. They were transformed. Test yourselves. But you can believe that there are some there that weren't true. Genuine marks of faith. What about us? What are, are, are we to test ourselves? We saw the Old Testament passages. We see the context here. We know what that means. But I say that this also is good for Christians. What test do we apply to ourselves? We say all those earlier ones. Yeah, Jesus is God. And he was born from the Virgin Mary. And I believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. And I believe in the eternal Jesus Christ and the Trinity and such. And what's your true spiritual condition, right? What, what do we check on? Well, first thing, and we're going to have to stop, but I'll, I'll give you those. Don't look at any event in the past, such as walking down the aisle, saying a prayer, responding to that invitation, you know, does that save you? Those can be good, but does that save you? Baptized, most people use that. I was baptized as a whatever. I attend this church. I have good feelings about myself. Has nothing to do with the past, has nothing to do with your feelings. It does in the long run. At the end, you got to think God gives us those feelings. It's good to have that, but that's not the basis of our salvation. The ordinances, it's not those points. I'll give you five marks. Repentance is a mark of a believer. Here's how you test yourself. Do you repent? Do you confess your sins? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We repent. Holy Spirit is here to convict the world of sin. Righteousness. There's another one. Righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Do you have the righteousness of Christ in you? Do you have Christ in you? Is He Christ to you? That's to, and you show that he's Christ as Lord. You submit to his authority. You submit to his word, right? That's a mark of a Christian. Do we do that? That's the third one. A fourth one is obedience. Do we obey God? If we say this and if we don't do this, you're not a Christian. First John says you will obey him. If you love him, you will obey him. Trust and obey for there's no other. It's an ingredient of Christianity. There is obedience. You find something that's wrong in your life and you know it and you say, okay, Lord, you got me. I know it's wrong. Help me, Lord, here, please. I want to be real. I want to be true. The fifth one is loving God, loving others. What's the two great commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. First John says, love God, love your neighbor. That is a mark of a Christian. Those are some five marks. I kind of borrowed from John MacArthur on that. Uh, a lot of that just comes out of First John, other passages that we're dealing with. Uh, those are key elements. I'd love to go into uh, uh, Peter and, and uh, see if it, when we're uh, short-sighted as Christians, short-sighted, and we, don't, we, we even have our doubts. And Christians can't have doubts. doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but um, you and yourself uh, are having difficulty well it comes down to have you been in the word of God have you been in prayer uh, if you've been in fellowship all those things are, are you are you living the life and Christians need to examine themselves anyway um, that is about examining ourselves I think it's a very healthy passage for all of us uh, it's not meant to one certain person at all is it everything there is that something that can help us in our walk. That is what it's about. I think it's great encouragement, isn't it? Look at the grace that he gives us in. Hey, I just want you to realize here's something else we can take off and make it better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. You are a glorious God. These words seem rather heavy and to one who is really not trusting in the sacrifice, we would pray for them to come to come to Christ, He alone is a way of salvation, to come and repent, to place the trust in Christ and desire now to live His way. And for Christians, it's to better our walks with You.
to check ourselves. We need to be doing that frequently to see where we're at in our own walk. Thank you, Lord, for this morning, this time of worship. May you be given all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.